Hello and welcome to Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Paula Andres. And here's your weekly update on everything agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's AgriFood team. This week, Ukraine grain bans and the latest on life transport of animals. So welcome back uh, to another episode of uh, Euractiv's AgriFood podcast. Uh, Paula is actually from my uh, home country. Yes. It's not true. I'm not Spanish. <laughs> but, but My home country. My home country, because 40% of people working in Brussels uh, think that I'm Spanish because of my name. <laughs> it would be, if you would be Spanish, it would be, no, if you Gerard- would be Catalan, it would be Gerard. But, Gerard. Okay. Gerard. Okay. Yes. But I have people who actually send me emails uh, in Italian and Spanish because they assume that Gerardo Fortuna is, uh, is my real, it's uh, actually a Spanish name. Which uh, you can you can understand them though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, but still, this uh, this uh, podcast episode is uh, for the other sixty percent of people who actually address me <laughs> in any other language. <laughs> but apart from that, apart from that, I take the opportunity to um, uh, promote blatantly your article from Spain on the situation in Doniana. We know everything about that. Uh, because last week in the podcast, uh, you were basically uh, dealing with the uh, the focus on that, but there was also follow-up, uh, actually two follow-ups. So keep uh, update, uh, keep you up to date with the two articles from Paola on youractives.com. Having said that, what happened this week, Paola, here in Brussels? Uh, we, we can say that... Uh, agri-food and uh, agriculture in general um, was great again, let's say, because it was on the cover of every newspaper, on the front page of every newspaper, because of the situation um, in uh, the Eastern European countries. uh, Some of them, they put forward grain bans for Ukraine imports, not only about grain, but also about other uh, agri-food products. Uh, because as you, as our, uh, our listeners remember, uh, there's a combination of factors. One was the solidarity lanes. Uh, the solidarity lanes uh, are, uh, is an initiative by uh, the European Commission uh, during the, in the aftermath of the Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and uh, this initiative was aimed at helping Ukraine export agricultural commodities via all possible routes. Uh, this happened in particular in time when the Black Sea route, the, the main route for, uh, for Ukraine to export uh, its agricultural products, uh, was blocked during the war. Now it's partially, I mean, it's, it's reopened, but uh, the the agreement is a bit uh, is a bit the implementation agreement is a bit complicated because it's basically renewed every I think f- three or four months, uh, so it's still uh, it's still good for Ukraine to have other routes through the um, for instance European um, the European Danube uh, River. Um, so, in combination with that, there was also the temporary trade liberalization scheme proposed by uh, proposed and approved uh, by the EU 
last year, uh, last summer, which is basically uh, a, a scheme that suspended tariffs and quotas for agri-food imports from Ukraine. Uh, this uh, triggered some um, uh, problems in the bordering country, not only in the bordering countries, because, uh, for instance, uh, even Bulgaria was affected and Bulgaria is not uh, bordering Ukraine. That's why, for instance, the commission uh, last week uh, uh, used the term frontline uh, countries. So all of the countries affected by the current situation, uh, by the consequences of the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and what happened, it happened that Poland, uh, Hungary, and then also Slovakia um, approved uh, some uh, unilateral ban to uh, agri- uh, agricultural products coming from Ukraine. Uh, this was actually, it created a lot of tension between Brussels and uh, these capitals. Indeed, uh, it was actually on Saturday, 15th of April, that uh, Poland and Hungary um banned uh, the imports of grain and other food and then the immediately the day after uh, on monday the commission already announced uh, a further support package uh, for you farmers hit by the influx of uh, ukraine agricultural pol- uh, products also slovakia the day after um, um actually communicated the again an un- unilateral decision to suspend uh, uh, technically, this temporary uh, liberalization scheme, eh? because it, it, this is the a bit of, like the main problem of understanding this situation, because it's an overlapping of two different uh, aspects. Uh, because uh, what they're uh, what they're doing is to basically uh, suspending this scheme uh, as a consequence of the also also as a, con- as a consequence of the scheme, but but mostly uh, as a consequence of uh, the um, the solidarity lanes uh, actually it means that the solidarity lanes uh, were a success uh, and maybe it was also uh, too much of a success for uh, for the EU standards but mm-hmm. anyway uh, the commission uh, the commission already addressed the issue by putting forward a first package of aid um, using the agricultural reserve fund. Uh, which actually, Paolo, you're an expert of agriculture. <laughs> hey, <Am fund>. I? <laughs> yeah, because uh, uh, Paola did uh, a very nice uh, video explainers. I also suggest, oh, today I'm doing a promotion of uh, Paola Andres. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> did I pay for this? <laughs> no, actually not, actually. <laughs> No, but yeah, there's a very interesting video explainer by Paola uh, explaining this new agricultural reserve fund uh, and and basically this money, this support for uh, farmers hit by the Ukrainian uh, agriculture uh, product influx, uh, they're coming from this uh, reserve fund. There was a first package of 56 million. Uh, the commission put forward on Wednesday a second package and this second package was about uh, of about 100 million euro now it's not clear how the eu the commission came up with this uh, amount of money it's also uh, this is also the most controversial uh, aspect because uh, on one side we have three countries that are clearly in breach of the european the eu law uh, not only the eu law but this is also um 
these are practices not allowed by the WTO as well. So there's a breach of the EU law and the breach of the international law. But in order to reduce the tension, the commission is giving them money, which is the the most controversial controversial aspect. Uh, the other controversial aspect is that again, there's no. Uh, it is unclear how the the EU executive got to the figure of 100 million to compensate, just to give uh, to compensate farmers, just to give you a flavor. The first package uh, we actually covered the um, development of this uh, first package. Uh, the negotiation between the member states and the Commission. Um, it, it actually took, uh, I think, several weeks. It started at the beginning of February and the Commission communicated the 56 million package at the end of March in the at the March Agri-Fish Council, so the gathering of the EU ministers. Um, and just, again, to give you a flavor, it considered the pressure on local prices from the excessive supply of cereals and oil seeds, uh, uh, the tension in the logistics uh, chains. Uh, they they had this uh, this criteria, uh, which was uh, the average storage capacity in the different countries over five years as a base, baseline measurement. So the first package was super detailed. Second package, the un- the announcement came on Monday, and the definition of the, 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 the basically the figure, the envelope uh, was uh, uh, was basically one hundred million, and it's still not clear how it uh, where it, it came from. So it also reinforces the idea that the EU is basically paying uh, <laughs> uh, like uh, like. A, a real blackmail uh, approach from the these member states. So this is also something that uh, uh, we try to cover, we try to uh, point out. Um, again, since it's the use of the Agricultural Reserve Fund, this means that this has to pass through, um, it has to be approved by member states as well. Uh, so uh, again, stay up to date. Uh, if you want to stay up to date on the uh, Next developments on this issue, uh, you can of course, yeah, the developments on this issue, we we can you can of course check on your active because it's gonna be, uh, it's actually our bread and butter, you know, covering uh, uh, this uh, aspect of the EU uh, agri-food uh, policy. And another interesting topic last week, uh, uh, there were actually many developments on uh, on uh, this uh, live transport of animal, which is yeah. a very important policy dossier, right, Paola? Yes. Uh, yes, some things were moving. Uh, so on one hand, last week, there was a, a leak on the impact assessment that the EU is currently undergoing for the EU animal welfare legislation revision. This legislation, this revision of a legislation is supposed to come um, uh, at the end of this year or in autumn, um, and it will look at uh, animal welfare uh, standards in the EU. So just just for a, a small note, this legislation has not gone through any major adaptation since 2009, uh, despite increased citizens' awareness and a lot of new scientific advice available. Um, so in this leak uh, impact assessment, uh, there are some measures that the EU is uh, is 
preferring uh, or leaning towards. And these ones include, for example, the phase out of cages in farming, which is also was also part of a European citizens initiative and of the cage age. Um, it also asks to shorten the journeys of live animals. Uh, so we know that at least one third or over one third of live animal journeys are over eight hours, between eight and 24 hours. Um, the EU also wants to ban mutilations, uh, for example, big trimming uh, for birds um, and limit stocking density. Uh, these are some of the of the things that are included in the impact assessment. Uh, then there are others uh, that might be less clear. For example, the ban on fur farming, which is also a European citizens initiative. This is not the so let's say the Commission doesn't take a preference on this because uh, they're they say they're still waiting on political decisions. Um, and then the other one that is. Uh, um, a bit less clear, well, not less clear, but that the, they didn't take a, a mandatory uh, um, a mandatory measure is the the labeling of animal welfare, uh, which is also part of uh, citizens' calls uh, to be better informed about the choices that they make, uh, uh, about the the conditions of the animals uh, that they consume. Um, so this for the EU should be um, voluntary according to the to the assessment, even though the impact revealed that a mandatory uh, mandatory one would be more efficient, but they say that because most stakeholders prefer a voluntary approach, uh, this is what uh, they are leaning towards. Yeah, so, the voluntary approach is also, you know, uh, even in other policy area uh, has been uh, experimented uh, yeah. sometimes with no success, uh, particularly on, on the side of food process and, for instance, alcohol labeling too. Uh, but uh, it's also not controversial, but uh, let's say that it's uh, it's something that uh, I mean it's not as resolutive as uh, or decisive as uh, uh, sometimes it's it's it, it, it's uh, it's promoted uh, for this reason not for for yeah. having uh, the private companies on board but sometimes uh, it's been it's been has been criticized by by other uh, sides let's say. Yeah, no, definitely. If the aim is to have an EU harmonized uh, animal welfare labeling, um, I mean, the voluntary, it's, it's, I mean, even the, the assessment concludes that the, the fact that it's going to be voluntary mm. is not, it's going to make it less efficient. Uh, they know that, they know that. Uh, yeah, they the know commission, that. They know that. Yeah, just, just to clarify uh, for our listeners, uh, the impact assessment, uh, we are at the, at the stage of the legislation that it's uh, before the commission or the college of commissioners which is basically the EU cabinet of ministers, um, before the college adopt uh, a proposal. So uh, it's um, basically the commission, it's setting some priorities and then there are services uh, like the, the famous DGs, uh, uh, like uh, DG Sante for food safety, uh, DG Agri for agriculture and so on. And these services, they're basically evaluating existing legislation. The commission put together this draft impact assessment that is uh, 
assessed, let's say, by this uh, regulatory scrutiny board, which is an independent body, is within the commission, but is independent because it has this uh, role of advising uh, the College of Commissioner. And uh, basically the main, the main role of the RSB is to guarantee this quality control, no? uh, the quality of the legislation. Also because uh, uh, particularly before the Juncker uh, Commission, uh, there was a lot of uh, criticism about the the quality of the legislation. Super complicated, uh, with uh, uh, um, objectives not entirely clear. But uh, as we were listening by Paola, uh, from Paola, uh, actually the the ambition is quite clear, and also the policy options are clear. No. Yeah. No. I have to say that. Uh, many animal uh, welfare organizations are quite happy with this uh, with these uh, results. Um, so yeah, it, it has been let's say broadly it has been welcomed mm. by by civil society uh, NGOs. Um, so so yeah, this is a one part, uh, but then there was something else mm. uh, going on this week, uh, more specifically on the live animal transport in mm -hmm. the EU, um, which I have to say this happened before the the leak uh, impact assessment. Yeah. So that was on Tuesday last week when the European Court of Auditors uh, released uh, a review it is not a report uh, because it does not bring, let's say, new data, but mm -hmm. it's a review of mm -hmm. existing information that they have collected and, and they took conclusions out of this information that is publicly available. Mm -hmm. um, and so mainly they found two things. Uh, they were searching for a reason why there is a, a transport of live animals. And they found that the reason mainly is economic and regulatory differences between member states. So this difference may benefit producers or transporters uh, because, for example, slaughter costs can be cheaper in one country or in another, or sanctions can be more relaxed in one country or in another one. So this 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 increases the, the, the chances that animals are going to be transported from one place to another to be able to benefit from this regulation um, or uneven implementation. Um, but then another second conclusion that they took is the lack of um, centralized data in the EU on the transport of live animals. So apparently there is no, no, yeah, no centralized full picture of the, of the EU um, live animals transport. Um, they have also put together a dashboard, an interactive dashboard, where you can see uh, this information clearly. Uh, where do member states export or import live animals from and these kind of things. Um, but for this, we have spoke actually to Eva Lindstrom, member of the European Corps of uh, Auditors who, who led this review. Um, so we will find out more about the status of live animal transport in the EU uh, with her. Last week, you published a review on the challenges and opportunities regarding the transport of live animals in the EU, which actually reviewed uh, publicly available information. Uh, which were the motivations uh, then behind this review? Well, first of all, it's needless to say that a lot of citizens are concerned about animal welfare. And some of us from time to time, I think we have seen many lorries transporting live animals. We also know that um, 
over a third of live animals transport between member states takes over eight hours and also that animal welfare rules are not always respected. So I think it's reasonable to ask the question, how come we transport so many live animals across Europe instead of transporting meat? I think also many listeners are aware of that in recent years, several studies, not the least from different NGOs, have highlighted the poor conditions animals can endure during transport. And also the European Parliament has set up a specific committee of inquiry on the protection of animals uh, during transport. And in particular, this uh, committee and the Parliament asked for restrictions on journey times, on checks on the export of live animals to non-EU countries, and also clearly expressed a preference for transporting meat rather than live animals. And of course, as the EU's financial watchdog, but also as the advocate of citizens' concerns, I think we as the Court of Auditors had a good look into the topic and produced our factual analysis on this, on this issue. And now digging a bit deeper, um, could you briefly tell us, according to your findings, what drives live animal transport in the EU? Well, I can take a helicopter view on this. I'd say that it's the regional differences in costs, meaning the costs of both slaughter, breeding and fattening that are cheaper in some countries than in others. And also we see from studies published that in many cases, it's actually cheaper to transport live animals than meat. So we see clearly that these economic reasons are very much the driving forces behind animal transport between EU countries. So to put it more simple, I mean, it's still profitable to transport live animals, even if this is less green and sustainable than transporting meat. On the other hand, there are also regulatory reasons. For example, we see that the agriculture policy has so far paid attention to animal welfare on the farm, but not during transport. And one could actually say that, to be a little bit catchy, there's a gap in the cap. Um, there are, There is, of course, regulation in the field of transport, but we see that member states enforce EU animal transport rules unevenly. And this means that there is a risk that transporters could actually exploit loopholes that derive from the different national sanction systems. And differing sanction systems among member states creates a risk of what I would call sort of control shopping. And um, we know that no chain is stronger than the weakest link. So we need to ensure that uh, the ev even the weak links are robust enough to discourage uh, rule uh, breaking. And with the upcoming um, EU animal welfare legislation revision uh, that is supposed to come uh, in the second half of this year, um, may I ask you how you expect these findings that you just described, uh, how do you expect them to influence this uh, upcoming legislation? Um, more specifically, maybe in terms of the length of the journeys and also the potential ban that um, was uh, in the air uh, on exports of live animals to third countries. Well, as always, I expect the Commission um, to take our conclusions uh, and our analysis into account. And right now they are looking at the EU rules 
uh, and will present something later this year. And of course, my, my expectation that they will take our analysis on board. I could also mention that during the course of our work, I had the opportunity to meet both the, the both commissioners responsible, Ms. Kirikiadis and Mr. Wojciechowski. And at least when I met them, I think both of them expressed that they were were welcoming our report and also saw that as important contributions for 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 their 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 view on 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 the rules. And um, ultimately, I think it's in everyone's interest, really, to firm up the rules. So as we also heard from some NGOs and also industry representatives that we met earlier this week, that th this could be a win-win situation. When we started our work, I also met with some MEPs who are working on this file. So I think, uh, at least that's my impression, that there is an appetite among the legislators to heed our messages. But of course, at the end of the day, these are political decisions and they are taken in both in Brussels, but of course also in the member states. I also wanted to highlight something that I found a bit surprising. And it's that, it's that according to your review, paying a fine can be cheaper than actually following the rules. For example, something that is in the review is that the fine for transporting a, a, a bull with a broken leg is around 250 euros, while uh, the approximate value of a slaughtered bull can be around 1,500 euros. So um, I, I wanted to know, if, is this a generalized issue or is this only specific in certain member states? And also, how can we change this? Well, penalty setting and application, it's delegated to Uh, the member states, and there are significant differences in the types of sanctions imposed for non-compliance and also to what extent the sanctions are dissuasive. And the example that you mentioned, I think that really illustrates two things. First, we need sanctions that are dissuasive, but it's also important that we have more of a harmonized systems of, of uh, uh, controls. And as I said earlier, no chain is stronger than the weakest link. And I could just give you some examples when it comes to, to, to the penalties and the sanctions. In Germany, for example, the fines uh, range up to 25,000 euro. Could compare that to Denmark, where it varies between 2,000 and 13,000 euro. And On the other hand, in Italy or Romania, there are lower fines. They vary between 1,000 and 6,000 euros. And of course, the bottom line is that the sanctions do not generally act as deterrent to poor practice or illegal activity as operators might perceive the sanctions to be too low compared to the price obtained for, for the animal. As a last question, um, I just... Well, you, you mentioned uh, before um, uh, during a press briefing that it is better to transport meat than live animals. Um, and maybe to close uh, our conversation, I wanted to ask you if this is the direction, if you think this is the direction where we are going to, or if animal transport is on the rise. And also, where does the EU mainly export these animals? Because you also 
Um, you also published a very interesting dashboard with some data uh, to where we can see and track exports of live animals. So maybe there was something interesting in there that you would like to highlight. Well, talking about trends, it has been different development in for different species of animals. We know, for example, that the intra-trade within the EU of bovine animals has risen 19% between 2012 and 2021. And at the same time, transport of pigs have decreased uh, 9%. Looking at the sort of the top exporters in the EU, we know that the top exporters of pigs is the Netherlands, and they exported 33 million pigs between 2017 and 2021. Most of these pigs go to Germany. When it comes to uh, poultry, Germany is the top exporter, mainly going to Netherlands. And when it comes to cattle, France is the top exporter, exporting mainly to Italy. But we also have looked, of course, at the export that goes uh, to other countries and continents and top exporters of lamb is Romania that exports to Jordan, Saudi Arabia and Libya. And I think also it's important to underline that it's not just transport for slaughter, but it also um, transports for, 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 for breeding and, and fattening. And during the lifetime of an animal, they might move around uh, quite a few times. So what I wanted to stress today is that we do not have a fully harmonized system between member states in terms of penalties, sanctions, or even the enforcement of EU rules. And um, to conclude, I think the main driving force behind all these animal transports that happens daily is the economic factors. And also that animal suffering is not integrated into the price nor of meat or transport. And to put it very bluntly, actually, this means that animal suffering during transport is currently still for free. And that's all from us this week. And this week, like every week, uh, the Your Actives Agri-Food podcast is produced by Your Actives Agri-Food team. That's me, Gerardo Fortuna, and Paolo Andres, with the technical support of Your Active podcast producer, Evi Chiori. This podcast is also available on major streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. I'm Paolo Andres. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Thank you.